Hey, how's it going? I'm Nick, and I'm your host on the Echo Academy podcast, a podcast dedicated to uncovering helpful tools and strategies to help elevate your career. On today's episode, we talk about how to use Agile to improve the way you work. My guest today is Guillaume Ducanet. Guillaume has been coding since he was a child, naturally progressing into a career in software development. He now works as a consultant and agile coach, providing coaching, training, and facilitation to help teams and organizations make use of agile principles to achieve their outcome in a more efficient manner. If you'd like to find out more about Guillaume, his work, and this episode, you can go to echo.academy forward slash Guillaume. That's E-K-H-O dot A-C-A-D-E-M-Y forward slash G-I-O-M. So without further ado, Here's my interview with Guillaume. All right, Guillaume, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So today's podcast is really interesting for me because I, I know nothing about the topic. But it's something that I'm really interested in knowing because it's really about how to get productive, especially when we are in teams and we are looking to achieve a common goal. So today's topic is really about Agile and how it can help with uh, productivity in teams. But before that, perhaps, you know, Guillaume, you can also, you know, tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got into Agile Consulting or is that, am I right? Am I getting what you do correct? Technically, we, I'm doing agile coaching, um, but the nuance doesn't really matter. You can call it consulting. Uh, the way I started, so I, I, um, I was a coder and uh, like a, a tinkerer since I was a kid. So I was a, um, I was a developer for the first part of my career. And at some point, uh, so I'm, I started in what, 99, right? And I, but I was coding since I was a kid. So it was an old passion. I made it a job, and then around 2005, I got into a consulting company. So I was a tech expert, Java expert, and it sort of drifted. Like over time, there was a moment with the clients where um, I got to talk no more about what we should do, but how we do what we do and how we work together. Uh, and it's it sort of that's the greatness of consulting is it's sort of an open field. And at some point, I look, you can ask me about the technical stuff, but I don't think that's a real problem we should talk about. And the client was like, well, okay, talk more about it. And I'm like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> and then I, so I turned to the, I was part of a great company called Docto in France. And I had some colleagues doing that. So I said like, let me come back to you tomorrow. And then I called and I'm like, guys, 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 he's asking me about agile and stuff. I never coached a team. I just know a bit. What do we do? So the, the, the company supported me. I had some assistance of coach in the background that helped me. And sort of, I was onboarded with other coach, and before I knew it, that that was what I was doing. So two years later, I had some junior coming coming in the company in Octo, and we talked after they've been there a while, and we talked, and at some point they're like, "Oh, but you know coding?" And I'm like, "What?" And I realized, yeah, actually, it's been two years. I've been doing only agile coaching back to back. So that damn kid doesn't know I'm actually a coder. <laughs> so I realized, okay, uh, apparently, I I, I drifted. But um, 
would you say you got into agile consulting or agile coaching by accident then just just by that chance of that client asking you to 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 coach them it's a it's a good question uh it wasn't the plan at all i think there's several changes in my life that happened at the time uh well first becoming a consultant because uh, i used to be a bit shy and there was a period in my life when i I thought like I was the out, sort of the outcast, like I will never be a social person. Plus I had say some bad people around me that sort of convinced me to it. And I, I envisioned myself like my greatest future would be to be an engineer and invent stuff, you know, probably more like Dyson or Elon Musk or that kind of stuff. Um, but then I entered nonprofit, some nonprofit, uh, something called the Rotaract. And before I knew it, I got involved and more, and I became like club president or region, and suddenly I was talking to a lot of people. And at the same time, where well, we started to work on some uh, tech mission, uh, supporting other teams, I started to have a posture that was slightly more into facilitation. We realized that at the time, and we were talking to a lot of people. So I faced the fact that actually, apparently I was capable to have social social well, to be a social person. And I think that that kind of drifted. So is it accident? Um, I have to think about it. Thank you for your question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's fine. You know, sometimes we, we never really know how we, we, we come into the roles that we come into. But your passion of being an inventor, would you say it's still around? Do you still have oh, yeah. that passion? Oh, yeah. Actually, the, the one thing that, that probably led to that is I've just been following the problem. Uh, first is like how you code, what you code, what is the right code to do. And then I moved to software architecture, which is, by the way, how does the system talk together? And in October, we realized uh, at the time, the way the system are in your company is a direct reflect of how people interact with each other. You can have two accountability systems in a big company just because it was emerging ones and boss of the uh, each division they hated each other and they didn't want to want to work together and so two accountancy system just because people couldn't stand each other so this is where you start to look like okay we better work on the on how we work together i think this is what i've been following right and a little bit of uh at some point it's change management sort of how to change the world but it the part of inventor is like you see a problem and you're like um how how can we how can we fix it? And right. that probably what led me to where I am. Right. So I guess the 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 desire to to help people work better together almost inspired you to to pursue this role. I think fun fact is I don't I didn't care. I kind of still want to say it's my dope. Like yeah, you help a team, you see how they are afterward. Damn, you could die on the spot. It's just you made it. Like you can have, yeah. It it just it made your day. It made it made your whole journey worth it. Right. Interestingly, that I don't think is my. It's not like my mission in life. I just happened to do it, and it's more like I'm annoyed when people are not performant or efficient, and I'm frustrated when I see how people are smart, but together. It's just a shame how, like, the outcome. I think it's more like the annoyance of that <laughs> that gets me to it because yeah. I'm more, like, performance-driven. Uh, 
well, maybe someday I will look back and realize it was my mission since I was a kid. But it's not like, no, it's more like I just built an expertise on it and uh, I'm writing it apparently. Right. Well, and, and that's what we want to get into today. So um, I, I actually got introduced to Agile uh, by a friend of mine who, who is a coder himself. And, and, but he was telling me that it can be used beyond coding and it can be used in other, in other, aspects, of, other aspects of work in order to help a team be productive and efficiently solve problems and get to their end goal. Uh, but before we get into all of that, perhaps you can tell the listeners and myself, because I probably might not even understand the whole concept well, what is Agile? Uh, interestingly, so the answer I'm going to give you, I found it like a year ago, no more. Because um, as you see, yeah, it's been a bit accidental. I, I didn't get there by the passion of things. Um, to, to, I start by the end, actually. The definition is the idea of being agile for a company or a person is to be in a constant evolution, always learning and always adapting, um, which is sort of a state that allows you to tackle the complexity of problems you're facing and situation. And some will talk about how more complicated the world is nowadays. I'm not sure we really face how it was complex before. I don't know. But the idea is instead of being disrupted by a false sense of stability, if you're in a state of constant learning, constant adaptation, um, that means when the universe is throwing stuff at you, when, we, when you have new, a new ambition, you, you build up toward that and you, and you adapt sort of naturally. You, you respond naturally to the universe. Got it. Um, so that's the state we're looking at. Um, that means I, I will go for company level because it's, it's the thing that we, we can get to the personal level after. Right. Uh, that means it shakes a lot of things how company works nowadays. Um, working top down, treating popo, uh, people like idiots who can just follow orders, it's not good enough. It just doesn't work like that. Plus nowadays, most of our populations are educated. Um, it, it, it just doesn't work. So you have to change a lot of structure on how you, how you work, not only how you collaborate, um, you just have to push the bar a lot more. Broadband communication. Uh, we, the, the main thing when it came to IT was let's get everybody cross-skilled together in the same room. Right. Of course, you got some people in other fields in life that say like, we always work like that. It used to be like that. Okay. In IT, we had this lunacy and we tried to work in a, like, like in a factory when you separate people and they just work along the line and you don't want to have people uh, uh, talking together until the final product. So you, you use them as minions. The main change with IT, and so that was in the 90s, something like this. The pivot was, okay, let's get everybody from the designer to the developer to the product manager, everybody in the same room, no more than 10 people. And let's get stuff done. Right. That, that's sort of the main spirit that went to it. Got it. So does that mean that Agile is meant for people with who are, multi, who are in different disciplines? Or is it for teams that are in the same discipline trying to solve a problem? I think the former is the main breakthrough, the main definition. 
Um, the idea is to have units that are the most outcome driven. Basically, I'll give you an example at Amazon. I think each team is responsible for a piece of the software from the roots to the web page. So very vertical. So yeah, you integrate maximum. There are different notions to that and nuances, but basically the main difference in a company is when you start to put the marketers with the doers, there's always a limit to that. That's the number of people in one team, etc. Um, what's more important is I know some nuances where actually you would create a team just to tackle one specific problem. The idea is that team has to be the most autonomous from beginning to solving the questions. That's the most important part. From there, get all the skills you need. So no, no separation of concern if you, if, if you feel like it. So that's probably the more nuanced version. So you won't have people down to the result in the same team. Got it. No handover over time. Got it. So that means regardless of, of, of designation, the whole point is to get whether it's a, a big team, like for example, um, the entire Amazon, or even if it's a small team, like uh, the software developers of Amazon to get them to their finish goal. So it doesn't really matter if it's multidisciplinary, although it's may although the main aim is really to help multidisciplines within the organization be more efficient at solving their unified goal. You're right. So so in that sense, perhaps we can go through an example so that it's clearer. Is there a way that is there a simple example you have that can help us understand better what agile is in action? Out of software or within software? Um, well, perhaps we can answer that question first. Um, is Agile effective outside of software development? Interestingly, I've been super reluctant to get outside of software. Because um, let's say there's a lot of passionate people and there's a lot of passionate, passionate marketers. And so when Agile became trendy, it's like everything in is Agile. I, I used to have a... A joke is like, look, apparently every Agile team I know, they have their own coffee machine in their room. Is that Agile coffee? <laughs> so, yeah, right. So let's, let's get back to the basics. What are they? So that's why I was super shy about what's Agile, what's not Agile. It's a, uh, it's a debate. Now, many, several things actually, we rediscovered them in software. We brought them from outside. They are not from software. Uh, Cross-functional team, we didn't invent that. But because software is so unique in a sense that it's intellectual material, it, it sort of pushed us to the, to the boundaries. Sort of three months is already long term in software. When you do something, the software is only as good as the team is smart. Smart together, I mean. So there's something we don't know how to do because it's just too complex. In 10 years, people will know how to do it. They will. So we had to push the boundaries. So something are very software related. Um, I don't know. I would think about quality of code, uh, pair coding, pair programming. But some concept actually, so reluctantly I got there because I didn't want to become a charlatan. Uh, but some client has been asking for it. So I had to rebuild the field a little bit. And interestingly, now I'm running some uh, agile management training programs, like, like something like 10 sessions or something. But there's just one IT guy in the room we had that year, for example, on, on 12 people. Right. So some of the concepts that translate, um, having very empowered team down to the results, as you mentioned. Uh, 
looking with a lot more accuracy about the collaboration system we're using. Uh, should we be a little more separate or should we be a little more integrated together? A lot of visualization. But that's one thing that to me is the one gene of an agile team and agile organization that beats them all is, are we in a system when we learn constantly? Do we have some learning practices? Retrospective is one in Agile. Uh, in Lean, they use continuous improvement. Are we continuously taking the time to reflect on what we did, try to do better next time? Honestly, when you have that, boom, you start, you're really activating, you're really activating everything. So these, these genes, they really apply outside of IT. My point is just, I know some, I, I tried, right? In nonprofit, for example, some things just don't work. Right. Um, I have an example for you. We say people got to be collocated and work dedicated to their project. So no multi-project. Yeah, okay. Uh, when you do nonprofit, people have a real job. When you have students, for example, I had a teacher, and how do I teach that to my student? I can't get them for three months in a room just focusing on one project. Okay, that you have to remove some, some parts and try to take the other one. So you can't blindly reapply what you read in agile uh, books that come from software. But other part, organization-wise and all, yeah, yeah, some, something really, really start to make sense, uh, really start to make sense. Got it. And when you say continuous learning, um, what does that look like? Because, you know, for me, it sounds very vague. So I don't understand what continuous learning actually means beyond the definition of the word. <laughs> If you understand what I'm trying I to say. I do understand. And, and I love your question because you don't, yeah, you ask me, how does it look? And actually, that's to me, the point is, there's no point talking about something. If I can't tell you what to do in a certain situation or what to do differently. So if you can't go down to practical, to me, concepts are just bullshit. Um, how does it look? One of the team I'm coaching now, every team actually, but first, Every week, they take an hour, they stop working, and they get together to reflect on how, how it's been the previous week. Everybody think on their own, they list their points, they share it. From there, they look at what could they do better or differently, either to improve or uh, if they had problems, how to make the problem not happening anymore. From this conversation, which is time box to an hour, they have a simple improvement decision system where they have the problem they had, the countermeasure, and they just follow that all the time. So that part, you should in any learning uh, team or company, you should have that moment of thinking back. When you finish a project, I think in theater, they call it uh, post-mortem, yeah. and they always do that. This is continuous learning. The other part is, so where do you keep, do you keep a, a sort of, do you follow up with the improvement you mentioned? From there, naturally, usually you will see a lot more formalization of the work, of the practices, getting into details. And to me, that's why team becomes so much good. While I see some team, the pleasure of the work is they're not super good at the beginning. I saw some team, they were literally the bottom of the pack, but you look at them working after a couple of months and like, Damn! <laughs> uh, which, by the way, is the baseline. You don't do a job to be a good team. You do to be a team right i can swear or that's not. okay no problem okay, so yeah uh, yeah i yeah, just put i just put explicit in the podcast yeah, yeah, so yeah, that's explicit. fine yeah um yeah it's not my native language so i love to swear <laughs> don't worry I about it that all is exactly good. alarm my head 
<laughs> yeah, so you know, you want you want a team that looks like my god, like I want to I wish I'd be part of that. And the thing is, you see these people, no matter where they're from, they start to pay a lot of attention to how they do things, uh, get into details what it, what it's, when it's needed, but also experimenting, make it go. So that's how they build up, you know, the law of the 5%, the law of the little step, little step by little step, they get better, they get better. They learn, they learn to be disciplined. So when they say, hey, we're going to do like this, they try to always do the best way they know until accidentally or not, they find a better way or they have problems. And so, so that, that's really how it looks. So we see people working, describing how they work, getting together. Uh, and you can ask, I'm sure if you ask them, hey, w when is the retrospective or the learning moment? Yeah. Uh, do you have a log of the decision? I expect to hear a yes. And, right. uh, and eventually, I would believe it's on the walls. Right. Like for everybody to see. That's also a, a strong efficiency thing is let's put everything transparent. Nice. Right. No, no, no time to hide things. Got it. And that, that leads me to a, to, a, to a question that I have because let's say with retrospective learning, we are all putting on the board or using post-its to, to highlight the, the challenges we faced or the issues we encountered or what we've learned. Who makes the decision when it comes to making the change that takes them to the next stage? As much as possible, the team has to be empowered to make the changes they want. Now, you have different levels of accountability in companies, but the first thing is sort of anybody should be able to do it. If you fast forward to the most, some companies nowadays are called like freedom companies. The motto is anybody can do anything because they trust people are smart. So usually when you want to change something that is outside of the natural scope of your team, well, you get to meet the people and sort of the social pressure and just the fact that people are not, people are well intended. So it takes learning, but you learn to go elsewhere as the people who may be impacted by what you do or who maybe help you and ask, hey guys, this is a problem we had. Can we study? So when a team starts actually to, to improve, the first part is they, they improve internally and pretty quickly they work uh, in coaching, we say at the interfaces, that means they will start to make ripple effect on the organization because they, they will go ask for improvement, escalate things or not. They will learn how to use the escalation is when you have, say, a, a, a more traditional hierarchy. But they will learn how to use escalation, responsibility. And this is where they get very, um, we say it's self-organized. An agile team is self-organized. That means also people start to learn about organization in itself. It used to be a manager skill how to organize a company, a team. Suddenly it becomes an open skill. People start to know stuff about what works, what doesn't, how to reach out to people, etc. So does that mean that everyone has the autonomy to propose a decision, I would say? Does that mean that the decision has to be a collective yes? Or does, does someone have... Uh, a higher power or a bigger bigger percentage of power to to reject or approve any of the decisions the the, the realistic answer is it depends um, for example somebody has formalized the point is suddenly it becomes an open thing within the team we try to be very flat like collective decision matters um, you want to have you want to have alignment on most of the thing so it so it moves forward fast um, collective is smarter because you have more 
brain on the table around each decision. It's also learning because you have to learn to sometimes you have an objection, you can't formulate well, like, look, let's try it out. I don't, I don't feel it, but I realize I can't formulate it. Let's just try it out. So that's the dynamic inside the team. And for example, there's one guy, if you want to look online, that formalized big work lately that he called Management 3.0. So it's a Jürgen Appello. And he started to put some of the thing and nuances in, into tools. One is, for example, he called it uh, uh, the seven de level of delegation. And it's interesting because you know you cannot empower everybody to anything just because sometimes you're the owner and um, you, you're, you're not ready for that. Or you just acknowledge with everybody, look, I don't think you have the skill uh, you are, or you're in the position when you can make that decision. So... I like to do that. And for example, you go from, I'm going to, on that specific type of decision, I want to be the one who tell the team and I'm just going to go at it from, I'm going to consult with them, but I'm going to decide. And sometimes you flip on that part. For example, you're the boss of, you're the boss of a bank or something. Are you going to tell the developer what to code or how to do the code? No, but you probably need full delegation. If you're just a direct manager or one or two level or a business business guy for them, you're like, no, but I can advise them. This is how good it should be. This is the outcome we're looking for. Now, you're the one who knows better how to code, but I'd be happy. So you learn to, and that evolves over time. So this thing used to be very rigid and fixed once and for all. And we within between teams or between the boss and the teams and the different levels you start to put a lot more details uh, in a very collaborative and open manner on hey this is this is a type of collaboration we need here this is a delegation we need there etc etc but right. the idea is you know the more you retain the decision at one point the slower your organization will be and right. probably not the smartest also right so I guess it takes time for you to really understand the, the team and what, you know, how the decision tree almost uh, it works. It takes time and it's a permanent adjustment. Right. So that, that's, uh, this is where it's constant adaptation and learning. To give you this, uh, something that I think it's called rule number six. It's an anecdote reported. I, I missed the point of the, the, the name of the book. It was a different, uh, different, I think, Secretary of State, Chief of State meeting. And at some point, there's one guy showing up to his own chief of state, panicked in the room, and he like, Tch -tch 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 -tch. Yeah. something in the ear. The guy turned back. He has an international counterpart, so he want to keep it a bit secret. He turns like, refer to rule number six. The guy's like, oh, okay. And he goes, comes back, same thing, refer to rule number six. So it happened a couple of times. And after that, the other counterpart like, dude, you got to tell us what's rule number six. <laughs> And he said, the rule number six is, do you really need the head of state to find what's the most appropriate decision? If not, then don't ask the head of state. Wow. Uh, so they asked like, okay, but what are the first five? Said, oh no, there's only rule number six. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's the kind of thing, I have some friends who are boss of, of, of companies and they're learning to let go and it's hard. But they're also learning that sometimes you, you got to be ready to see mistakes. Yeah. Uh, you will let people do things. I have an example with a, uh, with a guy I was managing. It was a sort of junior, and we are doing software development for a client. And honestly, it's not going well, so we're, we're, uh, we're in a tough spot. Someday, that guy put people on, on copy because he has an alert. 
he didn't know that there was sort of a big-ish boss of the client. And the very next thing, the big-ish boss, like, boom, enter the field, like, start to reply to email, convey a certain number of people, and start to make, like, hardcore decision. Like, basically, it start to, like, shake, rock the boat. Yeah. And, and the guy come to me, and, and I, I read the first email, and I'm like, all right. So then we sit and we talk with that, with that, that young developer. And I had two choices. Uh, I could tell like, um, you don't talk to these people. I do talk to these people. The other field that I use is I, I sat with him and like, all right, what do you think? He's like, honestly, I'm a bit panicked. Like, I didn't know that would happen like this. So my point is I just explained to him, okay, that guy, he's a big boss. What does that mean? I mean, when things happen, uh, arrive at his stage, yeah. that means they weren't sold by people with less power. That means it requires a strong hand or a strong decision. Right. So when it ha- when you put him in, in an alert, that means they're going to be action. Um, so up to you. And like, okay. So, and he came like, just naturally, because people are smart. Like, I thought like, in the future, what do you think you should do? And like, uh, okay, um, okay, I better, I better run it through you before I send that kind of thing, right? It's like, yeah, apparently I know that field better than you do. Yeah. Not that you can't, but look, yeah, that's, it takes a bit of a skill and uh, plus it backfires on me. So yeah, it just ran it through me. And, right. and he did it a couple of times like, hey, that email, um, is it okay if I communicate this on that? And like, okay, suddenly it's an open topic. We can talk about it. Right. It's interesting because um, for my very first job, I also had a boss that um, had his own version of um, rule number six almost. And, 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 and also um, what you just talked about, the example, because um, I used to, because it was my first job, I was nervous. I always wanted to impress. So I always asked him questions about it. And I guess I guess it, I I kept asking him too much questions. I guess that was a problem as well. And so one day, you know, when I asked him the question, it was almost like a final straw, and he just like banged the table, and he was like, "Nicholas, can you find this answer on Google? Can you ask a colleague? If the answer is yes, don't ever talk to me again. Only ask me the questions that only I can solve. And from then on, you know, I it. It was almost learning by mistake and understanding that I should have more confidence and also be more resourceful to find the solutions because, you know, other people have their own jobs as well. So I think uh, <laughs> rule number six or <laughs> really is quite quite applicable to any scenario. Yeah. It's, it's, to me, it's, I, I love these stories because uh, well, in some field, you realize we have a lot of legends, for example, about the people in the military. In the military... They want so much to have people who can take leadership that, of course, their permanent concern is raising the skill of people and their level of responsibility and teaching them. Teaching them has to be how to be the future leader, right. and uh, or how to sort of themselves. We think they want more ones. No, actually, they have to deal with more. In France, we had we used to have national service. Everybody was on the field, but basically, they used to do war when you have you want to have every idiot with a gun. Yeah. or a spear and so okay uh, you do it like this but as soon as you can find somebody who can lead the man and make decision or you can find a group of people who can make smart decision without 
using the leadership, oh, you have an edge. So you, they've always been growing up. But I love these stories. It's good news because everybody thinks like top down is, you know, it's always going to be like that. No, you have a, a, many boss who, and managers who try to empower the team. Um, but the one thing I got from your story is very important. That's probably one of my role right now. It just doesn't come as a snap. You just don't say, hey, now I'm empowering you guys to take decisions and solve your problems. And people will start to know how to do it and do it. It take, First, uh, my, my thing is um, when you open the cage, the bird don't fly out. They look a bit scared outside. Right. So it takes a learning. Suddenly they have more responsibility. Suddenly they have problems that other people were solving for them and they have to deal with that. And on top of that, it, then it takes learning. It takes time. You build it up. You learn to so, and you have to be ready that learning takes mistakes. Right. So if you're a boss of that, y yeah, it's uh, you can't just just decide. You have to be. It's a journey. This is a good segue to to, to the question back on agile. Um, let's say we have autonomy as a team, and this is non-software related. Um, can we discuss an example of of agile in practice? Um, that, so that the listeners can understand in very simple terms uh, Agile in action and how we can implement it for ourselves. Uh, and, if you, and, if, and if you would like me to come up with an example or you can ask me a question about an example in my work, for example, then we can, uh, we can also role play that. I'd be happy to have one of your examples because otherwise on software I have a plenty, um, but I'd be happy to have one of your example, yeah. Sure. Um, can you give me, a, um, maybe ask me a question on, on, on a type of, of, of problem that would be perfect and then maybe I can try and think from my experience or from uh, people I know and their experience and we use that as an example. Uh, actually, one of the examples, I don't know if I have something in mind, I believe Zappos would do that is sometimes you have some sales team, for example, on the field, very good. and they're very innovative and they could see the client having a problem that could be solved. If they're very close with their development team for, uh, or uh, let's get outside of software, but with whichever product team they need, could they actually find, gather the people, have a team and deliver a new solution for a client? So some do this. The idea would be, and then they have to be able to be in coordination with the rest of the organization also. Right. But why not? Usually the one thing you start to see is the sales force being closer to the product, um, to the people building product right. or service that you have. So let's look at co-working spaces then. Um, let's say um, our sales team needs to improve its sales numbers, but really tapping into a market that is looking for more customization. How can we use Agile to, to, to begin the conversation between different departments and really understand how we can create a great product for the so customer? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about, I don't know much about co-working space, uh, so I will make up Sure, sure, yeah. Oh, we don't have to use co-working spaces. I was just the, the idea, the, so the idea I have in mind is, for example, they want to attract new type of people in the co-working space or they want to make something different happening. Can one person who's not a boss at all, who just showed up there, work for just two months, actually anybody, show up, start to talk with 
some some people going there. I'm, I mean, I I, uh, I work in co-working spaces because I give me a buzz around me. If I have a conversation with one of them, can they figure out something? Realize that there's a need, something that could help me that they just don't see. Uh, that's not addressed. A type of workshop, a type of infrastructure, maybe. Could they eventually figure out, talk to other talk to other customers? I don't know what they call it, but other other workers over there, people like me, figure out that it would make sense to do. I, I will say something stupid. I don't know uh, a nap room. Yeah, that's typical. And then say, so look, let's do this. Go back to the team. Maybe it's a small co-working space. Like guys, uh, I hear about this napping room stuff. I think it helps. Uh, how can we do? And from there, they will show up like, okay, what would the concept look like? What do people want when they say we want a nap room? Is it something open? Is it closed? Is it for a 20-minute session? How can we provide them with a solution? How can they rent them and everything? Then what budget do we need? Do we need a budget, actually? Can we make it happen? Um, just talk with that. No coordination with the big offices from wherever. Um, just, just run like that. Establish maybe some thoughts on how they're going to see it's a success or not, because that yeah. matters. And just make the experiment in themselves. Right. And if the experiment work with just the minimal thing, and with the, that, they could just be like running a, a first a memo around, like who's interested. Right. They won't get it right in the first place. But could they first, are they empowered to just make it happen? Then, because they're going in agile, the first thing they try to see is how little can we go to experiment. They, we admit we don't know the solution in the first place. Right. We have to experiment. They will do one thing, then they will improve, then they will try it out, they will gather feedback, da, 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 da. but the idea is very much on their own. That means they can still communicate with the, maybe some other offices has done it before, they can talk together. Right. I would see, and I still mean that it's not a project led by the boss of the co-working space. It's just actually somebody that empowered and uh, and they, I don't know how they gathered up as a small team or how they run the initiative, but that would be, yeah, le yeah. leadership at all level. Right. So when it comes to, to, to those questions, what are good first questions to ask when you, when you first encounter an opportunity or a problem? You, you stop me if I get too much into details, all right? No first problem, kind of, yeah. The first thing we create a project is when you get into the typical um, thing that you put under the agile word, usually you can easily get it, you want to get into a routine, but too often you get in a routine toward nowhere or toward the wrong direction. So you want to know if the direction is right. Um, there's some books also on, on startups they they may be a bit idealistic, but on lean startup and things like this. But the idea is first, um, eventually try to figure out what's the what is the most the motive of your 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 company, your organization, or you to do it. How would success look like if it works? And what does that mean? Are you after? It's going back to the co-working thing. Are you looking for what better satisfaction or attracting new customers or image maybe? Like, what do you, what are you trying to achieve? And if, uh, so you, you go with that by, if it works, I'll look six months from now, a year from now, well, how does it look like? How, what does tell me it's a success? So you start with that. So you know why you're doing it, why it's worth spending your time on it. Because we have a lot of ideas, but right. that doesn't mean they're all interesting. Right. And the part after that is who you're trying to help on what? And actually, are you... 
is it really making a difference? It's typically called the elevator pitch, or every startup knows that. Or the, um, actually, the more detailed version is the unique value proposition, but it's really uh, trying to understand better your customers, what are they struggling with, what do I provide to them that the world doesn't help uh, provide to them right now. Right. Dropbox is the example that comes to mind. Uh, the problem was known, but nobody will solve it in a seamless way. They ran a video with that. Everybody reacted. They had their first achievement. It seems to make sense. Now let's build it. Right. Um, so that that's really the first thing you want to know. Got having it. a product direction. So product direction, and maybe maybe if I could just um, move back uh, one step. Um, how do we identify the right people to have in the room to discuss this problem? I would believe a mix of common sense. And um, this is where, if you just start like that, you probably won't know and you will make mistakes. And you will learn over time, like, whoop, this is a marketing thing. Let's do this. There used to be a time, um, and by the way, I'm talking about product, but some you can also talk about support. Support services, for example, are very interesting. Uh, but there used to be a time people were using doing uh, apps without using um, user experience designers. They were just doing it on themselves, and they thought they had the right people in the room. And until one time you work with a user uh, experience designer, you're like, damn. The, the, the level of depth they have on that question is just bl mind-blowing. So now you're like, yeah, okay, there's no point trying to make that up. Uh, but sometimes that person's not available or you don't have that. So you, you do with whatever you can. So I, I believe it's a iterative learning. Right. Right. Iterative learning. Which I think is better, right? Because then you don't really have a pressure of trying to find the right people. You're like, here's a group of people I think might be helpful. Let's answer the question at hand. And if the people are not right, then you'll find out along the way. Actually, um, you said something. On big organization, uh, I, I, will, I will actually go back on finding the right people. Take, uh, when you say you want to go with the project and all, usually there's the moment when you're just a couple of guys talking over, uh, you know, on, on the back of a napkin, which is good. Just two, three people. Who cares? The passion drives it. But sometimes... I mean, the great entrepreneurs, they know who to call for advice or involvement. And that, to me, that's a skill in your organization. You have new ideas, you know who to call. Sometimes opportunities come because the tech guy talked to the accountancy girl that he was trying to hit upon. Right? Right. And they just talk or they're just friends. And then they realize there's an opportunity to completely change the way accountancy is done. And da, 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 da. So I, I believe this is um, why you don't want people isolated in your organization. But on the big banks and whatever, these big organizations, I can tell you the problem is you have so many people involved that shouldn't be there. Like I did some, we call it inception on projects. We had 30 people in a room. At some point, you, you design the organization openly. So you did, okay, this is a team. We need one role over here. The rest of the people around are just support. And we have some shareholders like the sponsor and other partner team, where do you locate yourself? And we had 25 people putting themselves on support, mm. one shareholder, one head of the team, one developer only, and two people who were just partner team. So basically, the, the core people were not in a, in a freaking room. So, <laughs> so it's just <laughs> like, no, I just want to be, I don't know, I just want to be notified. And yeah. this is where like, yeah, do you have the right 
people when you start the project, for example. So right. many times we're looking for a project manager. We call it product owner. It's tough to find. You got to have the availability at it and the skill, like the passion for, for the user, the user life. But also, uh, how do you say, a certain, a certain habit to, be, to, to have some leadership right. and to be controversial, to make some hard choices that people may not like about your product. Right. And when you want to find it three times, usually it takes time to find that person. Most of the time, they're not available because that type of profile is very demanded. Take time to find the right person. So take time to find the right person. Is there a right number of people? More like when you run projects, uh, I've been more and more and more and more strict over my, my uh, work and coaching career. Uh, we know there are some studies that show that beyond eight people, which is called a pizza team because it's made up by Americans who eat very large pizza. <laughs> but basically, you have to be able to feed uh, uh, people with an American pizza, so eight people. Beyond that point, you can see the ability of a team to take strong decisions and, and uh, get in, put them into action very quickly drop literally drop it's not a soft down it's a big dump so you know usually we say eight people it used to be eight people plus minus two as a recommendation in agile and now people tend to say well it's more like seven plus or minus two my point like beyond eight is going to be hard you may have it's an exemption you may have some people who are just a bit part-time it's not always there so, okay, you can push it to 10. But I have one team right now, they're 10. They're working all remotely. And from the beginning, like, they're on the verge. Like, many of the problems they have, meetings dragging, having a problem being aligned, and just like, they should split in two. So when you go beyond this, usually you create two sister teams. Both are like cross-skilled, product-oriented. So you have to be able to split the product or the outcome you're trying to, to look at. And at least spread these pieces so each 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 team take care of one part, and then they have to be good at coordinating themselves uh, Got between it. the two teams. So find the right people, preferably no more than eight. Once you're in there, you try and find what, what No 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 no. I didn't say preferably, I said don't don't do it. Don't go beyond. Don't go beyond. Yeah, yeah. It's yes. it's just it's the when you're gonna do that. If you split a team of 10 in two times five, or if you do that kind of thing, you always look back later. It's one of these choices when you look back, you say, I wish we did it earlier. So it's got it. It's a breakthrough. Perfect. Thanks for clarifying. So identify the right people, no more than eight. Mm. And um, once you're in there, try to find what the what the goal is and um, the question surrounding it. Um, what is next? Do we just test it out do we is is the key of agile really just to get to 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 ship it and to test it as fast as possible i like ship it and test it yeah uh regarding the eight people i would say start small the best team i know they start small and then they increase now my job is to help team start so you give me a team of eight i can i can make them go but the best way couple of initiators then you look at your product and you think and and feel free to convey your boss because sometimes they have a market vision that as participants and and then try to do something that will give you some results go for the thing you don't know do it and ship it the, i think in the lean startup they say get out of your building go interview user go ship something you will have feedback 
And uh, most entrepreneurs, they say, if when you ship your first thing, you are not ashamed, that means you waited for too long. So ship something that will give you answers. Go for the risky thing usually, like you, you gotta go bold because that will give you answer. If you have something you're really unsure, like 50-50, maybe it's possible, maybe not, that's the experiment you wanna have. So you ship it and you experiment at the same time. That's something that, that is done a lot. But the earlier you get, the more you will learn, the, 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 the team will start to get in their own shoes early on. Right. So start, start early. I know a couple of exceptions, but the rule of thumb, just freaking start. Love it. So start, keep testing. And after that, I assume it's the retroactive learning part. Yeah. Um, I would start by putting, uh, no matter what, so the nature of the work, you asked about it, how you want to get organized, I wouldn't make an assumption of that, even more because now we're talking outside of software. And most of the thing, like, nah, they don't, they don't, it really depends. I've been working, for example, on communication. They have communication plans because they work on very different constraints, very time oriented. On creativity, you can hear what Pixar had, have done in a book called Creative Incorporated. Fantastic book to hear on audio or to read. Great book on management. And they work completely direct. Like they look at five to 10 years ahead. They, they know they have a lot of ideas they will experiment, put money on that may not even work in the end. Very different from software. So the nature of the work, refer to the classic expertise on the field. Um, to, to, I, I, I can't tell it, there's no silver bullet on that. Now, the one thing I will put, get on your calendar and every week put one hour in the middle of the week uh, and call it retrospective iteration, whatever. Open a book, look how to do retrospective. You put it on a recurrent basis. Everybody got to be there. It's, you're not going to work during that time. Uh, you're not going to invite anyone. No parasite in that team. Or sorry, That's blunt. <laughs> no observers. Yes. I, I would say one person eventually who's not part of the team, max two. My role is... If you show up, it's like the fight club. You got to participate. It's not your team. I just want to see, well, give us your insight. But so one hour every week, reflect, I mean, inspect what has been done, try to figure out how to do better. It's, it's very, it works like the hygiene habits, you know, it's like it only works because you're consistent. And if you, uh, if you drop one, if you don't do it, the first thing when you do the next one, we try not to do it in a team because we had somebody very skeptical. We're like, hey, we're going to do when we're going to do it. Yeah, right. After three <laughs> weeks, the guy who was very skeptical, he was the first to say, okay, I'll change my mind. Let's do it systematically. If we don't have anything to say, we don't have anything to say. Everything is fine. But make it a habit. So calendar, invitation, recurrent. So it's there. You don't have to think again. Decision is made. You're going to have your ritual every week. So just making sure you pencil religiously a retroactive learning session every week yeah and timing is not really an issue it's just well i mean is there a reason why you chose one hour is it just because there's a lot to cover out of experience um the thing with the retro team used to say if you do a two-week period they call, call it iteration or in in the scrum method which is one of the agile method they call it sprint but uh, it's not a sprint it's a marathon so let's forget this Two weeks, they used to say, take two hours. One week, I realized team get efficient one hour. 
why this? It can be a bit shorter or not, but because you are talking takes time. Uh, if you got a smaller team, it can go faster, basically because less people share their view. Right. The first part is people have to share their view, make their mind on their own, in silence, take notes, and then they share one by one. So it's a listening time. We all listen to each of us. That takes time. And when you shorten it, you realize ah, it's just you go on the super, um, you, you go superficial. After you had the views of everyone, then you get into, okay, what, what topic should we improve? And then you need to have the time to get in depth. Otherwise, it's the same. You just like go some for quick fix, but it feels like you're talking about problems, but you're not really solving them. And uh, on a psychological level, if we could say that, there's something we know in that kind of conversation and some in therapy is you're going to bring the demons out when you talk about the problem. And sometimes you're going to face the fact that we're in a bad time right now. And when demons out, the mood goes down. You want to have solved it at the end of the meeting. You want to have some solution of hope. So if you just cut it right there, you don't have your solution, but the bad mood is out there. Right. So this is, this is the moment if like we got to be able to take some stuff and build some solution and go through it. And sometimes, you know, people have tensions. You got to be able to talk, breathe in a little bit. So you want to have quality time. Now, you don't have all the time in the world. And usually an hour for a, t a, a, a team that size, that kind of fits. Perfect. Is there anything else that we need to think about when we are thinking about using Agile in solving our problems? Use the wall to share, uh, to have all the work represented. I think one of the things that really is disruptive when you go into a, into a agile organization, you see stuff on the wall everywhere. Yeah, uh, we talk about uh, information radiating to you. I mean, when I go in a team, I just look at their board, like everybody else could do, and I know what's going on. All the work is on the wall, the work in progress, the plan that they have, the strategies, the, if they have some their own um, indicator of result or performance or rating with users, whatever. Everything's on the wall. So I don't have to think twice. And that means everybody knows what's going on and you save a lot of time. Like there is no, did you get the email? Did you get the memo, <laughs> right? So yeah. no, no, it's just like put it out there. So yeah. it's going to influence your work. You're supposed to like raise your head, see the stuff, go down there and you know everything. You're just saving yourself time when you do that. Got it. Yeah, so the electronic version, if you're a remote team, is use some wiki or stuff like this. Everybody will has to be able to change it, to change anything. Put stuff out there um, and, as, yeah, try to put it in your environment. Right, right. So basically everything that's in your mind has to be outside so that everyone else can see and be able to pick up on what's happening immediately. Yep. Perfect. <laughs> so final question. Um what would you recommend teams or organizations do just to get started on uh, being more productive as a team in solving problems? Just the, the simplest thing that they can do so that they don't feel overwhelmed by having to learn what Agile is or having to learn some sort of methodology or any uh, idea um, to, to really solve problems. I have a sort of a controversial position nowadays within my field. Um, 
as you said, just start, but also don't be shy to be autodidact, like learn by yourself. Um, Sorry, what's autodidact? Uh, you learn by yourself. Okay, yeah. Uh, f*** all these big books. <laughs> um, yeah. So start small. Don't make it a big plan for your organization. It, it's, it almost never works well. Just do it as an example. Uh, use a Kanban. You can Google it. It's just yeah. a way to represent the work as a flow. Post it on the wall. Pick up the thing you want to see. My best thing is don't think what we write about Agile is any kind of Bible. It's just some books that people have wrote 20 years ago and since then. And we figure out practices. It's just a starting point. Most of the team, the point, because they improve continuously, they create the practice that fit them and only them. And that's why they're so high performance. They are just super, super, super specialized. So I know nowadays I prefer to have people who's been self-learning because uh, they're super humble, but they're also super interested in uh, experimenting. They don't, they're not like the tendency I feel nowadays because it's all the rage. Everybody want to go agile. Yeah. You have people <laughs> when they encounter a problem, they're like, they look back at the books and they look at it like, oh my God, we may have missed the solution. It must be there. Like the two page must be sticky. And they're like, like a no, textbook no, they're just like small little pieces of recommendation and thing you could do. And the reality will be unique to you figure that out like think it through this is this is in french we, we said démerdez-vous but like think it through just that that's the to me that's the real thing that we're missing in all these companies amazon google like nobody has wrote a book they figured that out so get your thing think it through reach out for some advice but no sacred recipe uh and even for yourself if you work before a minute work after so Pick whatever you want, try it out, try to understand what's working for you. Never, never cast it in stone. Yeah, I love it. I mean, because that's that's just a wonderful way to explore and try and solve different challenges, you know, to be creative, to not have too many restrictions. You know, I like that a lot. Um, I'm, I also want to take this opportunity to to have you also maybe share about your coaching and, you know, if people would like to get in touch with, uh, with you, Guillaume, uh, on, and if they are interested in agile coaching for their organization or for their teams, how best can they reach you? Um, well, they can find me on LinkedIn or, um, I have a blog that's basically called geom.blog. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, <laughs> in 2020, I plan to actually publish a lot more, uh, but they can find how to contact me over there at geom.blog. Uh, the thing usually I'm helping is, as, as you know, because we talked about it before, um, I start to do something on a personal level also for personal organization. Um, but for teams, I do many three things. I do change management, so it's an executive level. I'm running a lot more now uh, agile management trainings because this is the pivotal thing for big organization. And of course, basically, I do I do uh, agile team coaching a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. That that that's say my 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 go to things. Perfect. And I'll put and I'll put your contact details on the blog description. Oh yeah, please. <laughs> yeah, so 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 it's easier, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it's easier because you know some people may not know how to find even even though we we uh, uh, we tell them. And and your your name is pretty difficult to spell, I must say. That's know? why you use Giom G I O M. Yeah, I figured. I, my, fig I figured as much. Yeah, it's my English name. Uh, it's a trial and error, and that one people can get it. So I'm just I'm just sticking to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's great because I remember the the first time. 
because you know uh, how we met was at a co-working space and I remember oh I have to get you on my podcast <laughs> you're talking about something and I tried so hard to find you on LinkedIn it was oh, I was like I don't know how to spell your name <laughs> until someone told me and that's how it ended up well Guillaume thank you so much for your time it was really a delight to have you and it was really educational and uh, I hope you I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Yeah, thank you, f- thank you for your questions. Because uh, um, just to share a little bit with the the audiences before the podcast, I told you, look, that's my job. It's to teach people, to coach, and to talk about it. So don't let me go on my own thing. Like drive it, ask some questions. Like get me on the side on side topics. Uh, and I, I thank you because I really liked your question. Actually, uh, many, many were like. Like, like quite on the spot, like the, the question about the authority on the team, who decides and everything. It's not the thing I, I would have uh, reached into uh, from the first place. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy with what you what you bring on. I will listen after that to take some notes because I think yeah. uh, there's many things I can, re- I can yeah. reuse for, for blogging or for videos. But, yeah. So, thank you for having yeah. me. That was, that was cool. Uh, yeah, and feel free to use them as well. And I, I think it's perfect that I was the interviewer because I know absolutely nothing about Agile. So I ask you questions that, you know, you may not be used to because other people might probably already know about it. Yeah, I, the, the first people who I thought, the first people who taught me, right? Um, so we're talking back in 2005 or something. I thought I was late on, on the party. I thought I was a late adopter. And only, say, seven years later, so we're talking in, in, in France, seven years later, I went to conferences and I realized people knew nothing, the attenders. And I realized, no, I was just one of the late early adopters and the other were like the super, super innovators. Uh, um, but when the whole crowd came to Agile in IT at least, um, some of these super innovators, they were like bumped by what they would see, the mass adoption, the charlatanism sometimes, the people trying to sell it at all costs or just but that, that's just mass adoption. So I know the one thing I chose is, look, if you can't explain it to somebody who doesn't know anything, uh, if you just want to teach expert, probably you got to say it out and don't don't put yourself out there because uh, it's happening. People are asking for it. They come from every field. I'm more the type of like, I'm happy as a, as a, as a even in, in tech, right? I'm happy to me to be able to explain it to anybody uh, get to the level. If you can't simplify what you say, or not simplify, if you can't get the clarity that anybody could get, I believe you're not so good at explaining. So to me, it helps me also get a lot more clarity. So that's an exercise I keep going. It's been 10 years. I'm doing agile coaching now. So it's an exercise I keep doing. Uh, so I, yeah, so I love it. Absolutely love it. When, when actually you don't know anything. Right. Well, then I'm thankful I'm in the same room as an early adopter (laughs) to really help. (laughs) Guillaume, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks.